0: This is the Demand Excellence Podcast with Jonathan Guess, head football coach of the Eagles Landing Christian Academy on the south side of Atlanta. Coach Guess is the author of the book Demand Excellence on and off the field, and he is the creator and founder of the website redeemthegame.com. The goal of the Demand Excellence Podcast is to encourage, equip, and entertain Christian leaders
1: and coaches across the world.
2: Hi, everybody. We got Coach Rick Darlington on the podcast today. We all know him from Apopka High School, 167 and 47, and he won three state championships. Now he's becoming known for running the single wing, and a lot of people are running the single wing in Georgia now. I know Mitch Jordan at Mount Perrin is running it. I know Joel Ingram at Washington County High School is running it. I know Clinch County went down there and learned the single wing from Coach Darlington. He recently just left Apopka High School to go back home to Alabama to Enterprise High School. Great podcast with him today. I want to thank Coach Ed Dudley for co-hosting with me. And before we get started, I want to pray for Coach Buddy Nobles at Irwin County. He got diagnosed with stomach cancer two weeks ago, and we need to keep him in, in our prayers. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today. just so want to praise and thank you for loving us. Praise and thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Praise and thank you for Coach Buddy Nobles. Uh, Lord, we pray for for you to heal him. You're the the creator. You've created our bodies. You've created our minds. Lord, if you created us, you can heal us, and we pray that you would do so. I pray for the peace which surpasses all understanding to be upon Coach Nobles, his family, the community, his players, his school. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would draw Coach Nobles, his family, and the whole community uh, to you closer closer. Uh, Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. All right, coach. So, you know, you're pretty famous for uh, the single wing. A lot of people talk about you as a really good, godly man, great football coach. You've had tons of success, you know, won lots of state championships there in Florida. You've coached in Georgia. At Valdosta High School, and now you're coaching in Alabama. Talk to us a little bit how you got into high school football coaching. Well, um, I was I went to Stetson University,
3: which you probably haven't ever heard of it, but you know I like to call it the Harvard of the South, which is obviously not true. <laughs> but the uh, I went to Stetson, and I got a business degree. I got a degree in management. And Seth didn't have football or anything, and I was just in a fraternity and played intramurals and did stuff like that. And so uh, I wasn't planning on being a coach. But when I graduated, I realized I don't think I want to do this business thing. I I, I didn't think that was going to be something I wanted to wake up every, every morning to do. And so I kind of took a part-time job working for my fraternity, and I was just kind of praying as I traveled the country that God would show me something I could do to – maybe have a life of significance over success, meaning be impactful in the lives of other people instead of just taking care of my own life. And so that's when coaching football kind of popped into my name. You know, I was a very poor player, uh, but played for a very good coach, and a very good program. And uh, that was Lakeland High School in Florida. And so uh, I went back to school and got some courses to get a teaching certificate. And, you know, some things happen and. You know, God's hand kind of moved to different places. And I ended up coaching back at the high school where I played at. And uh, now, Coach Castle's been there 43 years as the head coach and won over 430 games. And so he hired me back and I was as low as you can get on the totem pole. I was JV assistant coach. <laughs> and I did that and the next year I became the JV head coach. And then my third year was kind of a big jump and a big break was we, uh, we lost our defensive coordinator to a head coaching position. Coach Castle moved me from JV head coach to Steve as the coordinator, which was kind of like a huge leap. I was twenty six years old and uh, certainly was not ready for the job, but he thought I guess I'd grow into it because I worked hard. And that was kind of how I got into it. Back then I taught English. <laughs> and uh so I taught English for about fifteen years really, and then uh, he even taught to me with when I was in Valdoff. But uh that's how I got into it. God you know, has kind of led me to something where I can work with young people and and use my love of the game you know, to hopefully impact lives in a positive manner.
1: Rick, uh, so full disclosure for our listeners out there, you and I are, are long-time friends, have a long relationship, and every, I think I want everybody to know that I'm a huge fan. And we're going to talk about several things today, including the single-wing offense, but I want to start um, back below program building, at the core of what you guys do at Enterprise and Apopka popcat, all your schools, what are your core values that you're trying to teach to young people that are involved in the game of football day? When you sit down and start to build that program, what what are the cornerstones of what uh, well, what it, you're
4: doing?
3: It's funny that you ask that because again, I'm in a situation now where uh, I've just had to install that at a new place and hadn't really done that for a while. But also, um, you know, we had a, a strange year back in 2016 from uh, 12, 13 and 14 at a pop. we, we played for three state championships and we won two of them. And the thing about that, uh, that about that group of people, those three years was, our best players were our best people, and when you have that, you know that really makes it uh, special, and you're gonna you're gonna win championships, I believe. If you've got good players that are good people, that's when you really can win. You know, if you've got good players that are bad people, or you know, bad players that are good people, you don't win as well. But when it all comes together, like it did in those three years, it's a uh, it's a special time, and, and, and we really enjoyed those days. That was a special time. So the next year at pocket 2015, we went 10-2. We lost to uh, the same team twice, West Orange, which they kind of accumulated co- co- in an all-star team over there in that part of the county. And we lost to them twice. They had a bunch of Division One guys. It was two tough games. We lost to them. Then the next year, 2016, we went undefeated in the regular season. I would never had that happen. I coached a lot of years and never been undefeated, but we went undefeated. But I could tell there was, you know, my good friend, Richie Barr, coaches over there in Tus County, and he was on my staff at Valdosta. And I remember him talking about sin in the camp. And, you know, you could feel there was sin in the camp. And, you know, we had to remove some players, you know, for bad behavior repeatedly on that team. There were good players, but as I said, not good people. And unfortunately, those guys who were removed were still kind of the ringleaders of the team, even though they weren't on the team, which is a concern. And so we lost our first playoff game that year, 40 to 39. And we didn't lose; we went from being number one in the state, being out of the playoffs, in one night. And we didn't lose because we gave up 40 points, played bad defense. We lost because we had that group of people in the locker room that were. I guess you'd just say for anything else, you have know, two-faced people saying one thing, doing another. And so I thought that might be my last game of Pop. I thought, man, this is just, I don't know. It felt like the thing we had built all those years was kind of starting to crumble. And so I, I what I did was I sat down and I thought a lot about it. I probably prayed a lot about it. I started asking former players what a pop to football. Them. And I asked them to give me five words and then describe, give me a sentence or description with the word Tell me why you say that. And uh, they did that, and then I asked my current players the same thing first day back after Christmas break. And so what we got was 37 different responses. And from those 37 responses, I found a clear break after six. And so those six things we felt were going to be our core values. And the reason I asked the players, I didn't want to say I had a core value of, let's just say discipline, but the kids never mentioned it. If I'm saying one thing and they're saying another thing, there's going to be a disconnect. That's not really a core value that kids have fought into. And so the six core values that came from the players, but I realized it was what we were teaching, emphasizing all along. Now, those core values are, Number one is brotherhood, family, hokahe, as you say. That was number one. Number two was honor. Number three was humility. Number four was discipline. Number five was perseverance. Number six was faith. And we've got a Bible verse attached to each one of those core values. And we put them on signs. We put them on the wall. We talk about them every practice. And those were the things we're going to build our program on. So, again, I, I believe those are the things you build men with. And I've always felt like my purpose as a coach is two things. Number one is to build men, and number two is to win. And I think those things go hand in hand. And so while I was on this, you know, tangent of coming up with core values, I thought I probably need to come up with a mission statement, too. And, guys, understand, I am the farthest thing from that guy. I'm not tucky-feely. I'm not a guy that's going to have a bunch of, like, things that we, you know, do corporate things, we say things. all That's not me. But I felt it'd be a good time to come up with a purpose of what we're about. And here's what it is. To build young men who are mentally, physically, and morally tough, those who positively impact others, and to win championships in a manner that humbly honors our school, community, families, and God. And so that's kind of what we, you know, hang our hat on, I guess you'd say. You know, we want to do things in that manner. And we feel that if we do things that way and we coach them good, then we're going to have a chance to win.
2: That's really good. That mission statement sounded like really, really professional. Um, and
3: coach, yeah, I got someone to write it for me, Ed. You know, I paid him a lot of money. <laughs> well, I figured, I figured yeah, you figured it, it and somebody England else had to write it year, down. I write yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: man, when I was a young coach, um, I was in the Air Force for a while and, and, and God called me into coaching and I was an assistant coach somewhere and we went to the Glazier Clinic. And I didn't really know what a glazer clinic was. I just went cause the head coach told me to go and I go up there and, and I really didn't know who to go here or anything like that. Somehow I ended up in, in your clinic that you did. I think you were at Valdosta at the time, but it was extremely beneficial for me because you were giving in that particular segment of your uh, presentation, you were talking about the weight room and it, laid a foundation in me. I always knew the weight room was important, but like, oh, this is the most important thing. I can still hear you yelling, get tight, you know, when you when you get on the power. (laughs) And um but and I say the same thing and, and you don't even know that you had an impact on me. I think it's pretty cool that, you know, 17 years later, people are asking me to interview you on a podcast. But talk about that philosophy of building a program, uh, the weight room and the mentality that it teaches your players.
3: Well, that's the first thing that, you know, in a program, because most coaches take over a job right around the change of the semester, you know, and the first thing you've got is you've got your kids. In January or March, whenever that's the off-season. You know, none of us really start football practice in the spring till probably late April. And so the weight room is really where you get to know the players, where you teach discipline, where you teach toughness, perseverance. All those core values we talked about are taught in the weight room. You know, and I've been blessed, that I've had my kids in football weight classes for, for many years. And doesn't matter if you have them in class. You do it at 6 a.m. You do it after school. Whenever you do it with a group of people, you're going to find who your leaders are. You're going to find who the guys who don't even follow are. You're going to find out a lot about your kids in the weight room. You know, and obviously a strong, well-conditioned team is going to beat a team, you know, that's not so, you know, provided the talent is somewhat the same. And so I've always thought that the weight room was really a crucial thing. And I've been around a lot of people that did it differently. You know, Coach Castle was not scientific about it. He would just load up so much weight on the bar you thought you are going to and a lot of us did. And uh, and that's how we lifted weight. And then I got with Coach Scroggins in Panama City Bay. And I learned some things there. You know, and then I started kind of doing my own thing in the weight room after that. But always picking up stuff where we go. You know, I remember watching one time the NFL Network. And there was a guy for the Redskins doing a workout and follow some power clean and other work. And I said, I really like that. And I so I called it Redskins because I saw a guy in the Redskins do it. So we've done those. So I'm always looking for ways to learn and do things. I think we're doing some new things in Alabama, you know, differently than I did at Valdosta, differently than I did at uh, at Apopka and Eustis and other places I've been. And so, you know, I I love to learn things and share ideas with coaches on the weight room. And not only is it just a part of lifting weights, I think that we all want to lift weights the same. I don't think that, You'd come into my weight room and watch our kids squat and say well you know what there's a whole different way to squat than that i mean we all want to squat parallel we want to power clean the same we all pretty much agree what we want it to look like the methods of getting there are what's different you know some people do it one way there's different programs out there and we don't have a specific program we have a specific test that i've done every year since 1990 you know i've I, I, Nick Hyder, Valdosta, was a hero of mine when I was a young coach. And I used to wait at Black Mountain FCA camp for Nick Hyder to arrive so I could talk to him about how to be a coach. And I remember he talked about the Super Cat Test and how they tested their kids in the offseason. And everything they did was based on that. And so now here I am 30 years later doing the exact same test. You know, we modified it a little over the years, but the exact same test Nick Hyder taught me back in 1990 and we do that test, and we base everything on it. When our kids got to pick jersey numbers this year at Enterprise, it was based on that test. There were some kids that thought they are going to wear a single digit and ended up wearing a number like 52.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so we base everything we do on the off-season program. You know, we really reward them for working hard and making gains in the weight room. And uh, that's something I've always enjoyed talking about and uh, always enjoyed being a part of and, you know, I've got some great coaches here with me that have some great ideas. And I've always been the kind of a guy that if you bring me an idea, you better be careful because I'm probably going to say, that sounds good, let's do it. But then you're in charge of it. <laughs> you know, don't teach me your idea, teach it to the kid, and I'll learn while you teach. So the weight room has been a big deal to us. And it's funny because you talk about that get tight thing. That was Richie Marsh. You know, when I went to Valdosta, Richie was the best strength coach I knew. And I brought him along, and he was also our defensive back coach. And, and I remember – this is funny, and you'll get – you'll like this. As we get in there, that that early first winter at Valdosta, and Richie's got these kids squatting like the bar and like maybe 135, you know, they're doing their reps. And I go, Richie, you must not understand where you are because we are playing in South Georgia. If we do this, we are going to go 0-10, and, and we're all going to get fired. And he's like, in that Southern accent, Richie's so country. Coaches trust me on this. You know, you'll, you'll like the results at the end of the road. And I watched these cats squat broomsticks, Ed. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is making me nervous. Well, I watched <laughs> and I watched. Well, by the end of that spring, we had guys squatting 500 parallel, and we were strong, you know. And so, you know, Richie had a method, and everywhere Richie's been, Richie put some strong teams out there. And, you know, Richie's going to show him he loves Jesus. He wants them to love Jesus, too. But uh, it was – I've learned a lot from a lot of people. And hopefully we have put them in our program, and hopefully we've been able to help some other people with their
1: program. Well, Rick, one of the beautiful things about high school football, high school football coaches is, you know, you just said, hey, I've learned a lot over the years. And you've taught a lot, probably as much or more than anybody else that's in the game right now. I know Bruce Copley was a great – a uh, professor of the wing key, And now you've become the professor of the single wing offense and the multiple single wing offense. You know, way back when we used to coach against each other, uh, you guys ran the triple and you threw the football. And then uh, I woke up one day and you were at Popka High School, Hoka Hay, winning titles, running my dad's high school offense. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about how you got to that point and we, we I've stolen parts of it uh that we use right here today at Winder Barrow. So tell us a little bit about uh getting into the single wing and I know it's evolved and, and you changed with your talent but but definitely uh that was a pick break from all the sprint guys.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. It was and it, it was definitely an evolution. It was uh when I first became a head coach, I told you I'd been a defensive coach before that. And uh, I said, oh, I'm going to run the offense that's the most difficult to be to defend. And at that point, you know, mid-90s, that was the wing tee. So I was at Eustace High School. I was the head coach. We ran the wing tee, and we were we were okay at it. We had have success. And so then I went to Apopka, and being in a bigger school, I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll run the I formation or something like that. But then I realized, ah, that's really not going to give us an advantage. So that first year at the school, I kind of tinkered with a lot of stuff. That's what I tend to do my first year is kind of tinker and see what we want to be, what we have, you know, finding out how, what we can do and be successful at. So I've always been enamored with option football. Uh, big Georgia Southern fan, Navy, Army, Air Force, back to the early 90s. So I had gone up to Georgia Southern several times, even as a defensive coach, to study the options. And so my second year at Apopka, we took out the Wing T Buck suite, we took out the trap, we put in the midline and the veer, and we, we put in the rocket toss. We still ran jet sweep and belly encounter, and then we uh, we took off, and two years later, we won a state championship doing that type of offense. And so then I got the job in Valdosta, and so I thought, well, that's what I'll do in Valdosta. They haven't done that. That'll be good. It'll be an advantage. And I went up there and we tried to do it. Well, we started off one and three, as you probably remember that. And I thought, my gosh, I've got this famous job and they're going to fire me at this season. And so we're one and three and we had an off week. So I went back to Lakeland, where I'm from, and I watched all the Lakeland film and I, and I saw what they were doing. Was They were running off, Can we run. but they were doing it out of the eye formation. And it was a lot easier for them to use a tight end as the extra blocker and have a fullback to run the dive and a tailback to run the pitch and to have uh, wingbacks that had to do all this different stuff. And so we uh we did that and uh I, I put that in the week of the Tiff County game we put in a an I formation package and a gun package because I had a little quarterback that was like five foot five and he was uh really good but he wasn't great at reading triple up and so uh we did that we switched mid season and by God, we went from one and three to eleven and three, and played for the state championship. And so we totally turned the thing around by changing offense midstream. And so the next two years we were a lot more of a spread type team. You know, Ed beat us in 2004, and uh, we were more of a Utah Urban Meyer flavor. Ran some shovel pass, some options. We ran inside zone. We were running what a lot of people were running probably back then. And we did that again in 2005, and then when I was fired from Valdosta and came back to Apopka, again, my first year back, I tried to mix a lot of different stuff. We ran some flex mode, We ran some gun stuff I'd done at Valdosta. But I just didn't feel like we had an identity, and, and I didn't like where we were. We went 9-3, and three, but I just wasn't happy with our offense. And so that offseason, someone said to me, because our quarterbacks were gone. We had a quarterback graduate and another quarterback uh, transfer. And so I said someone said, We told you, you ought to run the single wing. And I feel ignorant, but I said, Why is that? And they said, Well, it doesn't have a quarterback. Well now me being a former offensive lineman, when you tell me there's no quarterback, that kind of made me all excited. Because you know, we don't really love the quarterback deep position. And so we uh, we started to research the single wing and when I watched it I said, Wow. This is really neat stuff, and if we did it, A, we could be very successful, but, B, nobody else is going to do it. No one's going to follow us. You know, it's not like everyone's going to start following us running this 1920s offense. And so I didn't ask anybody because I've always said, if you want the approval of the principal, the superintendent, your athletic director, your coaches, the fans, the parents, even your players, if you care what anyone thinks, don't touch it. Don't run it. They won't understand it, and they're going to laugh and say, it's not even football. And so I just got to have a personality that I don't give a rat's tail what anyone thinks. And so I said, we're going to do this. Didn't ask anyone. Didn't ask my coaches. Just went out there and said, this is what we're doing. We did it, and sure enough, the first game, we were down 42 to nothing at (laughs) halftime. So now I'm looking like the biggest idiot in the world. But that was a practice game, and we stayed the course. And uh we kept talking to uh about it. We uh we kept doing it and uh we ended up going twelve and two that year, went to the state semifinals, and so since then we had a really good run in Apacka, you know, win it, won several state championships, uh set a state scoring record one year. So it's been really good for us and it's it's a very simple, it's a very simple offense and uh well, I say it's simple. It's simple if you know what you're doing with it. But a lot of people don't put the time in to really study, you know, what to do. And so that was – that's kind of how we got to it. We've stayed with it. My thought in coming up here is, you know, we're in a place that we might not have quite the talent, the depth, the speed that other people have in our region, and we still expect to win. And so the single wing would have to give us an advantage by being able to run the ball in a physical manner, off tackle and give us a chance to win against a team in a region that's very spread oriented, RPO oriented, like the game is nowadays. And I love all that stuff. I love to study it and do it. We do some of it. But I think that if we try to do what everyone else does with not quite the talent, I don't think we're going to have any success. And so I think one of the big things we can do as coaches is learn from the past. One of the first things I did here was I, I sat down and I met with Coach Bill Bacon, who was, won two state championships here back in 79 and 82 and won 214 games here. And so I met with him and I asked why the team wasn't winning and how he won. And it seemed like our philosophies on, on doing things were the same about discipline and toughness and teamwork. And so I really feel that the single wing and the type of defense we'll play, special teams areas, hopefully those things will help us to win games here, you know, just like Coach Bacon won games here with the same philosophy.
2: Well, Coach, you know, I can tell by talking to you, you know, you're going to run the football. You're going to play great defense. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you structure your practices during the week? I mean, you've had a lot of success, and we all know that preparation is how you have success. So how do you prepare during a game week?
3: I think the way we practice is probably a lot different than a lot of people. I think it's probably a lot more competitive. That's where we're striving to be. And the college coaches come in and they say it's very different, but you know, our practices always start off with some sort of a physical Oklahoma type drill. You know, we don't do flex to start practice or stretching. We come off the porch as we say, and we're going to be in a nutcracker or, you know, a tunnel of love or the bowie brawl or some sort of creative name for what we do. but. We're going to smash into each other the first thing off the porch. And so after that, that takes about 10 minutes, and we keep score for that. There's always a winner and a loser. but We always know that the offense winner to the defense. And then we move into a best-on-best best period next, where we'll have our best players on offense versus best on defense, and we're going to run whatever plays I want to run against whatever defense the defensive coordinator wants to throw at us. And uh, we'll do that for like 15 plays, and again, we keep score on that as far as first downs, and turnovers, and touchdowns, and all that. So again, that's another period in practice that we're going to keep score in. And so we start off the practice right away at a high tempo with, you know, uh, a, a physical drill, and then best on best for about 20 minutes. And then after that, we move into your four periods. That everyone else, does, your individual work, your group work, pairing up with each other we always try to set up a time of practice for our freshmen and our JV to go against each other, you know, like the freshmen, they'll go against the JVD and vice versa. You know, we're going to work special teams in there. But again, you know, we'll have days of the week that we have like competition Tuesday where we had eight periods of competition this week, everything from one-on-one pass row, one-on-one route, uh, scaly drill, you know, inside run, you know, we're gonna do that. Keep score at the end of the day. There's a winner. There's a loser. and the, the winner gets the reward. The loser gets punished. So I think that that's one thing that we do as far as that. And we try to compete every day. Because one thing I learned about football and coaching for 30 years is the only thing fun about football in practice is competing. You know, music doesn't make it fun. Hitting bags doesn't make it fun. The only thing that makes fun and makes kids get excited is competing against each other. And that's why we try to build competition into every practice that we have. <clears throat> and then as far as preparing for the opponent, with our offense, we really can't because we have no idea what the other team is going to run. You know, I've coached hundreds of games in the single wing, and I've been right on my like, guessing how they line up one time. And that was a team that we'd already played that, 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 that previous season. And so what we do is, We've come up with about the six most common defenses we've seen over the last 10 years, and we will practice against those every day. Like I might practice against three defenses on Monday, three different defenses on uh, Tuesday, and then Wednesday mix all six defenses together. So our kids are seeing every week we're going to practice against a 4-3, a 4-4, a straight 50, an eagle look or an under look, a T and T look and an over shifted look. So we're going to go go against those things every week. And so when the opponent comes out there on Friday night, we should be able to figure out which of those six things they're trying to do again.
1: That's amazing. That's a um, that is a very different philosophy about practicing. Hey, you've got, you guys have always been really good in the kicking game. Where do you sprinkle in the different phases of the kicking game in your practice week?
3: We just got to work it in. Usually, it's early in practice, you know. And uh, sometimes I can get brushed by too much. You know, I don't think we do as good of a job as we need to in it. But uh, you know, we've always had a lot of fakes on extra points and field goals, and we line up in a swing gate. Big opponents prepare for that. I've always been a tight punt guy. We're still tight punt here, just because there's a lot of fakes off of the week run and. That way also, you know, you just don't want to get a pump block. You know, that's the key. If you get a pump block, you're probably going to lose the game. <clears throat> and then on kickoff returns, you know, it really depends on where the kicker is going to kick it, to so how good of a return you can get. Same thing with punt returns. So I'd rather go for block. And then the scary one to me has always been kickoff coverage. And if you can get a kicker, then kick it in the end zone. You know, Ed, you know that. I remember we played you in the playoffs in 2004. We didn't even need to work on kickoff return because that sucker was going to kick it out of the end zone every time. And that's a really demoralizing <laughs> feeling on offense when you, uh, you're you lining up going 80 yards every time it's a kickoff return for you. And so that's kind of a, a thing. That's kind of a secret weapon. I told our kicker here when I first met him, I go, your biggest value to us if you can kick it in the end zone. And that's what I told him. I go, because I don't really care about field goals. You know, field goal is almost like giving up sometimes, I feel. But uh, <laughs> we, want we want to score touchdowns. But kicking in the end zone is a pretty, pretty powerful weapon. So we try to sprinkle those special teams in. Different days, we do different ones. And then like everyone else, we roll through all of on a Thursday before the game.
2: Well, um, Coach, talk a little bit about – this to be my last question. I know we all have limited time during football season. Talk about – I started this podcast, you know, four Christian coaches. Uh, just talk about your faith as a coach. You've mentioned, you know, Christ and, and God a few times, but just talk about how Jesus Christ drives you as a leader of young men.
3: Well, I don't I think all of us say the same thing. I'm not as good of a Christian as I need to be, and not as good as an example as I need to be. You know, but I I definitely believe that God, you know, determined my path all these years. He's given me tremendous favor, you know, and being able to, you know, be able to win games and and, and have success. And he's also brought so many great coaches into my life. You know, I've I've had so many coaches I've been able to hire here and other places like Valdosta and Apopka, you know, to bring in Christian coaches that are friends of mine and love the kids. And That's the thing I've always said with coaches is, all I need in a coach is someone who's going to work hard and love the kids. You know, I think football knowledge is overrated but could be taught. You know, if you've got somebody who's going to be up there every time you're doing something and working hard and loving the kids, that's what it's all about, you know. And so, you know, I think I've always talked to coaches about be who you are, you know, and, you know, if one coach may share a Bible verse with a player, whereas another coach, you know, he might share a war story with a player. It really depends on your background and who you are. And so what I do is every practice, I let all of our coaches talk at the end of practice. And the reason why is, you know, so many times if you're an assistant coach, you feel like you've got something really neat to share with the kids, but you never have a platform except with your own position group. And so I started to let all of our coaches address the team at the end of practice every day. it's amazing how much we all often say the same thing. And again, that's having the staff with the same heartbeat. But I want our players to hear from their coaches, you know, what it takes to be a man, you know, what it's like to take care of your family and your job and to, and to do the right things. And, you know, we're going to pray with our guys. You know, we had a guy get hurt yesterday pretty badly. And, you know, I went over there, too. You could see he was all tears in his eyes. And all I could say was, man, I don't know what to say to you, but can I pray for you? You know, and I just hugged him and we prayed and... You know that that, that's what you could do and you know the world today is such a such a upside down place you know the things that were right when i was growing up are now considered dead wrong and things that we would never even consider doing that were wrong when i was growing up now are mainstream right and totally accepted and if you call that out as being wrong well then you're a judgmental person or you're a mean evil person so it seems like the world is upside down and so I don't apologize for loving the kids and sharing Christ with them and praying with them, because in this world of so much bad stuff at their fingertips, I mean they can get on their phone and see all kinds of bad, evil, wrong stuff. And so for us, to have to apologize for telling a kid we love them, or taking a kid to church, or for praying with them. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And yeah, I don't do as good of a job as I, I'd like to do. And I'm very thankful I get the opportunity. But I guess when I became a head coach, I kind of promised God that, you know, if this is going to be what you want me to do, then I'm going to use my, my platform for you and to give you the glory, you know? And amazingly, there's been a lot of glory come our way. Because, I mean, the bottom line is, I'm not really one to forget where I come from, you know? And I was a very, very average to bad football player in high school. And for me to get a chance to coach football for 30 years, to be a head coach, and to have great teams and, 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 and great coaches with me, and to have an impact on young men, I mean, what a privilege is that? What an honor is that? And I'm just floored that God would allow me to do those things. So as long as I'm allowed to do it, that's what I plan to do, and I'm going to be thankful about it, I hope we humble about it. And, uh, you know, we always talk about, I had a player at Apopka High School named Chris Shepherd. And now he goes around the country and gives motivational talks and and stuff. And I remember every time Chris was praying in the practice high school, he would always say, bless us and make us a blessing. And I never forgot that. You know, I tell our players that now. You know, we want to be blessed, but we want God to use us to bless other people. So I really think that that's what makes make life special, is when you don't live for yourself, but you're a positive impact in the lives of others. I think that's why we're here and to give glory to him.
1: Absolutely. Well, well Rick, I, I I hope every young coach listens to this twice. I hope that uh, they all get a chance to check you out and realize what a great haircut you have. I know that you have a great family and a great coaching resume, but just all because you're a good person and we sure do appreciate it. And Coach Guess always prays with us. And man, I need it today. So... I'm excited about having you on, and I'm excited about Coach Guess. He lets me pile on right. on some of these every now and then. So, just appreciate well, you doing to this. To you guys,
3: lot. I'm humbled you'd ask me to do it, but certainly I'm glad to, to speak to you guys. And you know, I really appreciate you and what
2: you guys mean to our profession. Yes, sir. Let me pray for us, Coach lord we come before you today just want to praise and thank you for loving us praise and thank you first and foremost lord for dying on the cross for our sins lord we praise and thank you for coach darlington and all that you've done in his life and how you've used him to impact players across the Uh, many years that he's coached but Lord just not players the coaches that he's coached with Lord and then the the fans and the community of the places that he's been Lord he is a uh, shining light for you in the coaching profession and ones and and a man that we all can emulate Lord so we appreciate him and we thank you for him Lord pray for all the coaches out there Uh, Lord many most coaches are getting ready for their first game and Lord I just pray you give everybody wisdom and discernment I pray for our boys, Lord, it's so hot, and I pray you take care of them and keep them safe and in your care. And Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: No need to run from the truth We need to come to understand Ephesians 1 we see and love The Father predestined We seem to have a problem with the doctrine of election We keep stressing and leave guessing Leading to depression Because it's God's love we question We'll sit back and take a deep breath And exhale, let's set sail The word of God is refreshing Let's be real with it The Bible obviously talks about predestination So we gotta deal with it I'll be your fake attorney by his grace mercy and present my case so let's take a journey for the sake of learning first turn the road. 828 through 30, zooming in on verse 29, read the first line, those who ain't foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, exhibit number one, people try to use an argument, lacking common sense, concerning the foreknowledge of God, thinking the logic fits, dudes are saying he looked out into the future ages with illumination, seeing all that would choose salvation, and those men were chosen by God cause they chose him, but that's not what the passage has spoken, it says those he foreknew, he predestined, Before I knew everybody, is everyone predestined? Is everyone his object of affection? If so, what's the point of the doctrine of election? It's spiritual, but let me make it plain So you see the miracle and praise his name Instead of taking his grace in vain It isn't complicated, we all evaded the God that made us And traded in his truth for a lie Worshiping what God created more than God Who was glorified, corroborated our death Our lives are an abomination But if the Father's aim is to bestow mercy Then it's not to say that he was obligated But that God is gracious, is God's enemies We deserve to be we're dirty enough to be eternally cursed and turn into dust And if he did it, he would be perfectly just to murder me But he decided to show mercy to us I didn't choose God, God chose me, gave me a new heart And it wasn't because I was holy But if I chose G-O-D, then God owes me Heaven says it best in those that have been predestined. Keep pressing, it's a deep message. I only see blessing in election. I'ma see the blessing, yo. No, it's not even a question.
4: How God in his perfection wrote the doctrine of election. Yeah. God in his perfection wrote the doctrine of election. Cause he's sovereign, there's no question. And it got some people stressing, but no option. But election can account for our protection. Godly direction nor perfected bodily resurrection. Yo, don't let the thinking of modern men fool you. God does what he wants, that's what it means to be sovereign ruler. It's deep and not complicated. With complete confidence, I'll state it, peep it. It's how God has always operated. He's the greatest fam. His amazing plan made his hand. Saved the man Abraham from a pagan land. Who can argue with the people that God chooses? Who? Israel and not Egypt, Peter and not Judas. Yeah. Humanly speaking, it should have been Saul and not David. The inheritance should have been Esau's and not Jacob. The truth, it speaks rightly so you can see rightly. A huge, mighty God who chooses the least likely. Still, some contested as a phony doctor. But if we're really dead in sin, predestination is the only option. With yeah. reservations, they fume inside. This hesitation because it's devastating to human pride. Human pride. This truth is the sober kind that you're prone to find in passages like Romans 9 10. is so divine it'll blow your mind we are the clay and we've been formed by the potter none can come to the sun unless they're drawn by the father but God draws everybody that's what some cats say it can't be that way because all who are drawn are raised on the last day because of original sin and all of our despicable deadness within election must be unconditional then some people say that we were drowning in the ocean barely floating until God threw us the rope then our free will helped us as we grow our faith is the hand that grabbed the rope and God put us back in the boat no without a Apology, I deny that analogy Reality, we We were dead dead dead. at the bottom of the sea I was a swollen corpse with hope no more Till Jehovah the Lord dove from the shore to the ocean floor Yeah, Yeah. I was a corpse and I smelt like it I'll keep it simple, why did God choose me? Because Because He felt like like it He brought me out, not an act of my volition Rewiped into my lungs and didn't ask for my permission Throughout the Bible there's major examples of this Pages of passages like the raising of Lazarus Rather than debating the Master's gift should be happily praising his magnanimous saving of savages. It's time we see God's sovereignty and his primacy, his holy dynasty, running things by divine decree. Why does he to summon our others to see Jesus? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases.